350 days. That's less than a year. And that's the amount of time it's taken for Blaze Bailey to return to Horns Up. Now, let me add another date to your calendar. 9th April 2021. That's the date of release for War Within Me, Blaze Bailey's latest studio album. Got it? Now let's fucking go. Hi, Blaze. You know, it's great to speak to you again. Thank you for having me on the show. It's good to be here again. Hmm. Guess what, Blaze? It's 2 a.m. right now in Bombay, India. And isn't that really poetic? I don't know if you yeah. remember that we yeah. spoke about the song and how much that song meant to us the last time we spoke to you. Yeah, that is uh, quite a coincidence, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So, given that it was such a coincidence, I had to give this one a go. And please allow me to indulge myself a bit here. We got up from bed at 2 a.m. and sat down with our drinks. Turned on Skype on PCs and hoped it's smooth. Fingers jinxed. For we'll speak to Blaze again and hope he really enjoys it. And once we heard his voice, we know it will go great. Here we are again. Back with Blaze again. Get your horns up again. Make it roar. Trying hard to see what he says to me. Here is Blaze again. Here we go. <laughs> well, oh I can't believe you, I yeah. just did that. <laughs> yeah, I can't either. Thank you so much. That's the sound check, Izzy. Tell me when you're doing the real song. Two <laughs> <laughs> a.m. makes you do makes you do awesomely stupid things. Uh, yeah. But really, I can't believe it, Blaze, that uh, you're spending some time and returning to Hansab to talk to us. Well, believe it. Here I am, and it's uh, it's eight thirty at night here. And in my other life, I'd be preparing to go on stage right now. <laughs> oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, totally. Uh, I was actually watching a couple of live videos of yours from the last live in Czech uh, album that you put out, and yeah, I, I can totally imagine. Hey, Blaze. Uh, before we before we begin, you're you're fifty seven, right? No, no. Okay. No, no. 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 I've started a new company, and what we do is we collect the years that people don't need and keep <laughs> them, so that you can say <laughs> I'm thirty seven. Fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, and and then we keep those extra years in storage, so that you can keep saying you're thirty seven until a time when you're ready to be older. And hmm. then we then yeah, there's a small charge, and then we give them back to you. Small charge for for so 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 no, I I refuse really. My um, my heart is fourteen. When I listened to my first heavy metal and heavy rock records, and uh, my body appears to have aged, that's 
that's an illusion I've created. No. Okay. Okay. But having said that, have you received your COVID shot yet? Yeah, or... I've had the first one. Okay. Uh, so you're well on your way to rid yourself of the virus that's been infecting mankind, eh? Well, I mean, it's a dark time for humanity. That's the way I, I think of it. It's a dark time for humanity. It, it's tragic. But, you know, some good things have come out of it. And I never hide the fact that I've had mental health issues and problems. And now that's in the mainstream because what we're going through here has been so severe that a lot of people have been affected. And now mental health is mentioned in the mainstream as something that is important and everybody can be vulnerable. So that's a, a good thing that part of the stigma of mental health is being taken away and it's becoming a health issue not uh, an issue that is not real health so mm. I, so i think that's good really because there's so many people that are suffering now because of staying at home and not having any money and you know people who are struggling to survive and people who, who losing their livelihoods and everything it's a dark time for humanity and it's very difficult to understand fighting a war against something microscopic and you do it by washing your hands so you know it, it's it's odd but um this is it and this is the this is where we are and there's no getting around it. It's a tragic time for humanity and a very difficult time for everybody that's that's living through it. However, there are worse things and many human beings are living through war and displacement and being a refugee. So to be honest, as difficult and challenging as this is I still feel incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful that I'm able to live the way that I do and have the support of so many wonderful fans from around the world. It's incredible and very, very humbling. I'm supported completely by my fans and most people have gone direct to blazebailey.net and ordered CDs and T-shirts and merchandise from there to support me. And it's just been incredible. And that's made it possible for me to make an album, you know, that support. So I'm incredibly grateful and very, very lucky that I have that incredible support. Yeah, I totally understand uh, where you're coming from. And, you know, finally we get talking about your album that's coming out next month in April. So the last time we spoke, you told us that each album of yours is a new journey that needs to be explored on its own. 
So how does that statement extrapolate to your new release, War Within Me? Well, what was really liberating is that the last three albums we have done have been a concept, one big concept across three albums called Infinite Entanglement. And every song had to relate to the story, a story of a man that did not know if he was human, didn't understand his identity and sought redemption for the darkness and evil of his past. So to be making an album which was 10 songs that didn't have to relate to each other or any other albums was very liberating. And we really enjoyed that. And it really took a little bit of the stress out of it because, right, what's this song about? Not what's this song about and how does it relate to the overall story and the concept? Does it fit? Um, so that was really good. When I was on tour in South America in February, there were no signs of COVID there. But I was getting messages from home to say, there's a big problem coming from China. And uh, it's in Europe now and it's getting worse. And when I came back into Paris, all the posters were up around the airport as we were getting the flight going to London and you know all the security were wearing masks and everything and it was obvious then that you know something was changing and something was difficult I've never seen anything like that in my lifetime and we did our last show in March in London it was sold out we thought it would be cancelled but it's one of the last shows in Europe to actually go ahead Burfest and it went fantastic and then after that things started getting cancelled and postponed and we had always intended to write this album in 2020 and every time a festival got postponed or cancelled that was another three days that we had available and then two weeks of touring got cancelled so that was a another big lump of time we had to spend on the songwriting on the album on the production and it, it made sense but as we had this horrible lockdown I knew so many of my fans had been waiting for two years for a new studio album and there's been a free meet and greet at almost every headline Blaze Bailey concert and fans have told me how much certain songs mean to them and how albums have got them through difficult times and things like that and when we started writing I really thought you know I have a duty and I also have the privilege of doing something here 
that is positive and perhaps in a small way can help my fans. I could have an album that will feel, you will feel better at the end of it than you did at the beginning. And so as Chris and I got together for our first meeting and we often talk about, well, what shape do we think it could be and what ideas we have and is there anything in the vault that we think we might be able to make use of or might turn into something. My overall feeling was this has to be positive. Everything we do on this journey has to be uplifting. There is darkness and heaviness on War Within Me album, and there are serious subjects. But in the end, it had to be uplifting and positive. And we tried to make every journey feel that way. So it wasn't just that you got to the end of the album, but you got to the end of most of the songs and you felt better or inspired or just like you had a bit more energy or you didn't want to give up or at least for 40 minutes you could forget the world and immerse yourself in this album so that's what we tried to do and all through we would go well what's the best part of the voice to use for this lyric to get the emotion and what's the best chord to use here so that we get the emotion of the lyric over and when we're in the instrumental where do we want to end the instrumental where are we going from where are we going to what's that journey about and what are the emotions that we want people to feel when they're on this instrumental journey so we were careful we had a lot of luck with the writing a bit of inspiration and a lot of it was hard work some things came together quickly and other things just were still being worked on to the last day so um it was quite a journey and then of course there's a lot of anxiety because i'm waiting what will fans think will they enjoy it will they hate it will they think it's the worst album i've ever made i think it's good but no one outside the team can listen to it yet and of course everybody in the team says oh it's a great album and you're like, well why would you say it's rubbish you're never going to tell me the truth even if it is rubbish because you know as part of the team we, we've got to help each other with our confidence so it was a big worry and then when the first single came out and fans started reacting to the war within me single and a few journalists I'd heard the album and started doing reviews of it. And then the second single came out and people like that one too. Then uh, the anxiety is over and it's a huge relief. The album is okay. You know, so, so that's, that's what it's been like this whole journey. It, it's been keeping 
my eye on that future and on that message, which you don't really need to understand the lyrics. It's there in the emotion that the journey we take you on is one where you should feel positive and powerful at the end of it or at the very least you shouldn't feel desperate and you should feel hopeful wow fantastic so let's talk a little bit more about that journey uh, i remember last time you told us that you took a long break after the infinite entanglement trilogy to get your creative juices flowing again um what did you do to get your creative energy recharged and how did you program that energy into this new album how does blaze bailey go about recharging himself well we used all of our energy on three albums in three years with three tours on deadlines and my manager said to me when can i expect the next studio album and i said realistically i need two years to recover I can't do anything of quality with real meaning and emotion and passion. I could make another album, yeah, but it's not going to have the depth of the last three albums. I need time to recover. And that's what happens. And after that first year and you start to get away from being in that vibe of the of the concept, then start to capture little bits on the dictaphone, odd melodies start coming, a few lyrics start coming. Then we were lucky, we had two or three ideas in the vault that you bring out, does it work this time? No, back in the vault. And does it work this time? Oh yeah, actually it could go there, it could do this. Ah, right, that's where we go then. So. We were lucky with that as well. And that's how it went, really. It's just letting things go and having some time away from it. And this is the other thing about the gigs getting cancelled and postponed. It was horrible that that happened, but it gave us this extra time where we could just step away from the demos. We do the best demos we could, then step away. And we wouldn't have to listen to those demos for two weeks. And we could come back fresh. And that is a huge part of making the songs make sense and finding the real identity of each idea. Because you'll come up with it. And I think it's true with a lot of writers. Once that idea is born and starts having an identity, you have to follow the idea. You're not really creating it anymore. It's out there and you have to find, well, what direction does it need to go in to fulfill itself as an idea, to become the most that it can be as an idea, as a song, as a piece of music? Where does it go? And you have to find that. And we were lucky, you know, that we had this extra time where we were able 
to find these things. And so it's a feeling that the songs really are finished. They really are done. That is how that song should be. That is how the idea should be. That is the emotion is captured. That is it. And so the most difficult thing we had at the start of the demo and writing process, the idea for Every Storm Ends. And we did almost every idea on acoustic to make sure that it worked before we tried to turn it into metal. And that one just seemed to work fine. And then as we tried to turn things into metal, started getting problems with every storm end. And then it started to need extra parts. And then it wanted to do something else. And then it needed this extra bit. And when it came to do the vocal, the vocal was just rubbish. And uh, I said to Chris, this is nowhere near the emotion that we have on the basic demo. And we kept going round in circles. And in the end, Chris just said, right, I'm turning everything off. Just forget that you're in the studio and sing it. And, um, and then that was it. Then a couple of those takes. And that was the final vocal. And it really came to life and made sense. But it was a real, it was a struggle because the first one on the demo was so good, but it was a very, very rough recording and it was a di at a different speed. So you couldn't use that for the final vocal. Wow. Wow. Okay. So just to keep on that track and talk about the recording process a bit more, I remember you telling us once again, referring to the last chat, you told us that you absolutely hate being alone in a vocal booth or a studio while recording and how much you really love jamming with your band while writing music to really feel how the music will be received since it's all about how well it hits live. Given the shit show of last year, talk us through any changes you've had to make to your own recording or writing process. I mean, uh, did it have any, did, did the pandemic and the lockdown influence the way you guys recorded? Yeah, absolutely. It, it did. Because you've got this restriction of the 15 day quarantine. So if you've got symptoms, you've got to self-isolate for 15 days. So Chris Appleton worked out a schedule where we'd he'd stay at my house and we did everything in the home studio 15 days then we'd have a 15 day break then we get together for another 15 days then a 15 day break or, or or a bit longer depending what we needed to do and then we couldn't be together for the mixing in the same place and that was a real struggle so the drummer had to send his parts in it's the only album I've ever done where I haven't had a full rehearsal with the band with drums. And we really had to think about what we're doing and be careful. And then we'd send rough things to the drummer. This is a kind of thing. Can you make us a groove that will work with this? And that's how it went. 
really. And because we had all of these gaps open up, we were able to do that. So we had a, the rare luxury of time, but we were still on a deadline. So we had to get that final mix done on the day that we said we would be on the final mix. And that was tough, you know, because we were in different places and things that would take 10 minutes, like, just let me hear that solo. Oh, no, we'll put that down a bit or we'll do something to it. Then it would be an email. Let me hear that solo. Well, it's no good over Zoom or Skype. You've got to hear it full in, you know, professional headphones and on the studio monitors. So then you have to wait for that to come through. Then you've got to listen to it. Then you've got to make notes on it. Then it goes back. Then you've got to listen to the adjustments. Are they right? If they're not, you've got to go, oh, man, stuff that would take 10 minutes was taking a day, two days. So that was very, very difficult. But, you know, well, that's it. We've coped and we've got the result that we wanted. And I hope that my fans will enjoy and connect with this album. Yeah, and at least from what we've heard so far, I can totally think it will. But, you know, speaking about War Within Me, I mean, uh, it has a trilogy of songs that are dedicated to scientists who challenged conventional wisdom. I mean, you've got the dream of Alan Turing, the power of Nikola Tesla, and the unstoppable Stephen Hawking. Why these three names in particular? Well... We had Stephen Hawking. Um, Chris Appleton wanted to try a new studio for drums. So we came up with a, a song. We put it together quite quickly. So no big instrumental section or anything. And we called it The Hawk. And uh, we got that back out of the vault and said oh let's have a listen to that again and we go well we can't use the music but you know there's bits of it that we can use and I went back and looked again at Stephen Hawking and it just became so obvious to me what the most important thing about Stephen Hawking was to me even though I've great admiration for all of his scientific achievements and what he's done with physics and everything. For me, the number one thing is the doctor told him, most people who get this diagnosis have three years to live. And 49 years later, Stephen Hawking was given a lecture on the other side of the world, but he couldn't speak and his body was withered and crippled. But he found a way to communicate. He'd written books. And it's very humbling, I think, for me to think, well, I don't think I would cope. I don't think I would survive. But Stephen Hawking just said, well, I've got to finish my work. And he kept going. 
and he kept going. And I really needed to say that in a song that this man is a hero because of this, not just because of supermassive black holes and uh, things in the night sky and the universe and all of that, but because somebody said, you're going to die in three years. And he said, I've got too much to do. I haven't got time to die. And he kept going. And he kept going in what are, to most people, impossible circumstances. He not only had to learn to communicate in a different way, he had to stay positive enough to get through each day when he, he faced terrible, terrible, hideous challenges and he came through it. So he is unstoppable. He was unstoppable. And one of the things that he said, a very important message, which makes me think, was think of the things that you can do not the things that you can't do. And I think that's such an important message for this terrible time that humanity is going through. And I wanted to put that out there. And for me, you know, the song as it is now, the final version that's on the War Within Me album, is just magical. And what Chris Appleton's done with the guitar and the melodies and the arrangement idea that he came up with for the song is just fantastic. So I'm so pleased with it. It's old school, it's cheesy, it's heavy metal, and we don't apologize for that. We used every trick in the book, every cliche. We didn't care how cheesy it was. If we liked it cheesy, we put extra cheese on it just to make sure and that's how it came out and now it is the unstoppable Stephen Hawking and um, it's something that I'm really pleased with the way that it's come out. Nikola Tesla was a bastard, an absolute bastard. His song, it was almost impossible to finish. It, we had this wonderful idea, Chris had this idea which was and oh that's great that's going to be my tesla <laughs> idea and it's like oh great and then i came down to work into the studio one morning and i said let me hear tesla and i'm going where's the theme gone he says what theme i said the main did 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 part and he goes oh was that important i'm going that's the whole song so that, it was really difficult and then we had one lyric, one little bit of lyric for the chorus, which was power, power in the air. And that was it. Nothing else made sense. And it, we had, oh man, it was so difficult to actually get the thing to make sense. And the music was starting to come on and make sense. And then it was like, is it too slow? Then we made it really fast. Then it's like, it's too fast now. We've lost all the groove. Then we got to slow it down again. 
Oh, man. And then the lyrics just would not come. They wouldn't make sense. Or if they came, they were like, they were dumb, really dumb and stupid. I thought, I just want nice lyrics about a man that has a dream of Niagara Falls and a water wheel when he's a child. And then he grows up and he's the power, all the available power in the world. He wants to make it free. And he would have saved the world environmentally speaking if his ideas had been put into action and made real because he wanted everybody to have free power and he would have been thinking of a way to generate that power with no global warming consequences so that's how I felt so strongly about Nikola Tesla, that really there's a threat to the world from global warming, from all of these things, if you believe in it or not. it You know, the environment is changing. And I really think that Nikola Tesla would have saved the world on an environmental level if many of these ideas had been adopted by the mainstream. And then I suppose Alan Turing, it's, it's two sides to this person. His invention of the electronic computer and finding the Enigma code during World War II which meant that some shipping was almost guaranteed to get through so that Britain didn't starve to death. That is crucial. And I don't think we'll ever know how important it is in the whole scheme of things. The other thing is he did dream of thinking machines and he dreamt of artificial intelligence and it's called the Turing test. It's the test of a computer, a machine. If that machine can deceive a human being into thinking that it is human, it's passed the Turing test and it is an intelligent machine. Well, the downside of that, and Elon Musk is talking about this as well as me, well, that means the first interaction with real artificial intelligence is a lie. It's a deception. The machine has to lie. It doesn't say, I'm a machine. Do you feel comfortable talking to me? Is it as good as talking to a human? No. It says, I am a human. But really, it's a machine. It has to fool you. To pass the Turing test, the machine has to deceive the humans. And I think that's a very, very dangerous thing. That is Skynet, Terminators and the Matrix all coming to life. And conscious machines may not be beneficial or altruistic towards humanity. Wow. 
So, please, I must ask you this. How much of a sci-fi buff are you? And what made you develop an interest towards these studies and this world? Well, I think, you know, it goes back when I was a, a child, uh, you know, when I was five and six, then we lived in a mobile home, a caravan, and without, um, you know, you had to go outside to the toilet. And we didn't have a TV. I had a radio and I had books. And so I think really that's very good for imagination. And that's why I think probably my imagination is so vast because at that early age when my brain was forming and having ideas, there was no TV to take away. Things were in my mind and in my head and we didn't get a TV till much later. And I, I think that's a, that was a benefit. And we listened to a lot of music as well. So and my mother was quite a good mechanic as well. And if something didn't work, she would try and tackle that. And of course, I became interested in how things worked. And in the end, science, and in particular physics, and taking things down to the smallest level and the quantum level, well, that's the little parts and bits of pieces of how things work, of how everything works. So I think that's why, you know, uh, I'm famous for taking things apart and not being able to put them back together when I was a young man. But I did eventually learn how to take my bicycle to pieces and put it back together and fix it up and then the cars that I had, old cars, you know, cheap, where you've got to do the work yourself because you don't have money to take it to a garage. And my mother used to watch science fiction shows as well. And we'd watch them together. And there was great science fiction around at that time. I'm so old. Um, we had Blake Seven, Space 1999. We had great Doctor Who at that time, as well as original series Star Trek was on prime time, I think. So it, it was a really good time for science fiction. And then reading Arthur C. Clarke and really got me into it. So I think my favourite author now is Philip K. Dick. And why he is my favourite comes from watching Blade Runner and... You know, I love Blade Runner when it came out. I mean, that was the impossible future. But most of the things now are realistic, apart from the flying cars. And hopefully Elon Musk is getting those ready. So, yeah. Yeah. So looking at that and then seeing, oh, it's based on a book called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I thought, oh, I'll have a go at that book. And um, wow. I mean, it's just a shock. The The book is so different to the movie. And there's so much about identity in the book. And waking up from a dream that felt so real, you thought you were awake. 
and it happens several times in that book and it's it's well disorientating but very very cool as well and the central character really it's very clear that he does question his own identity as as to you know who he is and what he is so that's been a big influence on me and when i did my first solo album silicon messiah i had a lot of these ideas swimming around and also i'd read robert heimlein um and i was a big fan of david bowie's movie the man who fell to earth as well so it it all kind of came together and i, I just I, I do like science fiction but i find it's very much like heavy metal when science fiction is done well, it just transports me to another place. And that doesn't mean it has to have a big budget. But when they've got the story right, the script right, it can just take me to another place. But when it's not done well, it's the most boring, crass thing to watch. And the same is true of heavy metal. When it's done well, and things are used in the right proportion and the right mix of ingredients is there it's wonderful and powerful and passionate and will take me on a journey and when it's ordinary it's horrible and predictable and funny and not in a good way so it, it's the same really so I really love science fiction and I try and watch every science fiction movie and science fiction series. Some of them are very ordinary. Some of them are breathtaking. So, you know, the last time we spoke, you mentioned that you were working on a sci-fi book. So if we may ask, how's the progress going on the book and when can we expect to read it? Well, it's going very slow. I never realized at the beginning how much work it was to do a book. And this comes from my personality as a frontman, as a frontman of, you know, rock and metal bands. It is an equal measure of stupidity and courage. I am too stupid to think that I can't write a book. And then when I find out our difficulties, I have to find the courage to keep going, even though I'm totally out of my depth. I started the book over five years ago based on a song that I wrote called Eating Children that was on my Soundtracks of My Life album. And, you know, the, the idea being that people would be able to escape the earth when the environment was too difficult to sustain human life but it wouldn't be the heavy metal singers it would be the billionaires that would escape and that became the infinite entanglement story and what happened was i had about a third of this story and that became the first album and part of the second album and then i ran out of the story that i'd written and been using for lyrics and to to get the thing moving and then i had to write the lyrics as the story and now i've got to go back and 
put the whole thing into perspective and look at the lyrics, look at the music. Does this fit there? Does that fit? And then reading the first part of the book that I base the lyrics on, it's rubbish compared to the way that I write now. And I'm like, oh, man, I've got to do all of that again. So to answer your question, it's going to come out as soon as possible. But it's a lot of work, man. I chip away at it every day. That's how I've kept myself busy in lockdown. There's writing this book about the infinite entanglement story and trying to write some Wolfsbane songs. So oh, that's how I've kept going. And we're hoping to get a Wolfsbane album out and I'm hoping to, to finish this book. But, you know, I, I got halfway through it and I had a big word count. Of, oh, yeah, that's going well. And then when I tried to read through it, I'm, I, I've got to start again. And so that's what I had to do. I, I just had no clue, man. I I was thinking, oh, if I learn to type faster, it'll make the book go quicker. No, that's nothing to yeah. do. That's <laughs> nothing to do with your typing speed. My typing speed has no relevance on how fast I'm going to finish this book. I didn't know that at the start. I wasted a lot of time watching YouTube videos about typing fast, you know, when I should have been writing the book, finger up to with two fingers, and I would have got a lot more done and been a lot more productive. But these are the lessons we learn. You know, what somebody very famous once said, everyone has got a book in them. And for most people, that's where it should stay. <laughs> all right so you know we've talked quite a bit uh about war within me uh which one of the singles that have been released so far should we play on the show and why i think you should play 18 flights it's more upbeat it's a true story about being in an earthquake and you know, getting through a difficult circumstance. It's not too heavy subject matter. Like, War Within Me, it is really about trying to find the strength to get through each day, trying to get away from the self-destructive laziness that seeks oblivion and get to responsibility and making your own future and finding the better part of yourself and facing the world with that. I think 18 Flights is quite a bit more cheerful than War Within Me. War Within it is a great song, you know, but it, it's deep and it, it is um, severe in some ways 18 flights is a story about a gig with an earthquake you know deep purple had smoke on the water to be honest i don't think that's anything compared to surviving an earthquake you know in the middle of a gig where they had a bit of smoke and a flare gun we actually had a text message in a complete blackout, which said, tsunami warning, get to higher ground. We were 10 metres from the ocean. 
So, you know, that was pretty scary. When we got back to the gig, hours later, after the all clear, bits of the building were in the street. So, you know, for me, you've got to say, I think anyway, I'd be interested in your opinion. You compare 18 flights, smoke on the water. I say 18 flights is better. Here it is. Here's 18 flights.
you know, I just saw the announcement that you've put out uh, for the tour in support of the album, which is starting in September. Now, last week we spoke to Carl Willits from Memoriam and also Bolt Thrower, and he mentioned that he was open to the idea of doing live stream gigs. Was that something that you considered at all? No, I don't understand it. And, uh, you know, with the current restrictions, we don't all live close to each other. You know, that I don't actually have a band. What I do is I work exclusively with Chris Appleton and his band, Absolver, but they're not my band. They're a band in their own right, doing their own things, making their own albums, doing their own gigs. And then they come with me and they work with me on my tours and they do a wonderful job and they work with me in the studio. Then they go and do their own things. So for me, it's just not practical at this time to do a streamed gig. It is the future. I think it's what will happen for a lot of people especially bands that live close to each other and can get to a rehearsal and do it right but for me it's not a practical thing right now and sadly i have learned to play guitar to the standard of someone who doesn't play guitar and so it's very difficult for me to accompany myself on guitar or keyboard playing any of the songs that I've actually been involved in writing because I just can't play well enough to accompany myself. And it's one of the regrets I have in my life that when I did have time and it would have been appropriate for me to learn guitar, I, I played video games. And I'll always regret that. But here I am. You know, my instrument is my voice. I play guitar well enough to come up with a few ideas and keyboard well enough to practice and come up with a few melody and song ideas, but not well enough to do a gig or a show on online. You know, I, I, I don't think I don't think it would be possible what i'm trying to do it's just really at the back of my mind right now is when you know everybody's vaccinated that do some unusual shows and one of the things i've wanted to do for a while is a gig in somebody's house so You've got your house, you've got your people that are in your group, and that's expanding now as the rules are being relaxed. And to do a gig in someone's house, I, I like the idea of that, or their garden, you know, it's a gig in someone's back garden. I'd like to do a couple of unusual gigs next year uh, and see what happens. So if we are faced with this again, it, you know, we'll be able to do something. Awesome, that sounds keep fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know how I'd react to someone say, hey, man, Blaze Bailey's playing in my backyard. You want to drop by? <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that I've done in the past to rehearse is 
I've invited my neighbours round and I've done the set list in when when it's been like an acoustic thing. I've done the set list in front of my neighbours and the pressure's there. You know, there is that added pressure and you do have to bump up, you know, and even though they know you and everything, it's it's the pressure's there. So and it's a really fun thing. And, you know, on the last tour that we did, there was one show. The pub was so small, you could only fit 12 people in the pub if the band were there. And people had to listen outside and stuff. And loads of bands play there because it's the only gig to play on the way from, I think it's on the way from um, from Finland to Sweden or something. And so we ended up doing it. But it was, you know, the dressing room was bigger than the gig. But it was great. It was so, <laughs> it was, it was awkward and it was challenging. But in the end, it was something that you go, I'm really glad we've done that because it just showed the strength of the songs. The songs still worked in that tiny room and came to life and we were still able to perform. So it was something that was enjoyable, but you know, I always like playing unusual places. Awesome. So, you know, I just want to, for the next question, kind of jog your memory and take you back uh, many years. So, you know, just referring to our last interview, you spoke about, you know, how you made the transition from a night porter at a hotel to a heavy metal singer. And from some of the research and articles I've read since, I believe that journey started in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, it did, most, yeah. And most specifically, a pub known as the Red Lion. Now, yeah. uh, I've spent a part of my life, uh, a third of it, in the United Arab Emirates. So I just wanted to know what your memories were from back then. I mean, I'm sure there were no glass buildings and all of that. No, it was nothing like that. It was a hotel which you drove out of the city and there was a hotel. And obviously they hoped that it would develop and things would develop to go out to that hotel. And the Red Lion was the pub stroke bar in the hotel that the public could visit. So it was not much different to a, a, a pub gig, except it was five performances a week. And we'd never done anything like that before. And one was a Sunday afternoon and we got there and we'd learnt all the wrong songs. You know, we, we were doing metal and rock covers and it was very unpopular. So we had to learn some Queen, some Brian Adams and stuff like that. But, you know, the challenge of doing that and having to learn the extra songs and work together as a band, that's what really took us to the next level because that's where we really learned to play together, to really hear each other and what we were doing and find the way to make those adjustments to fit together. And of course, you know, when you're singing five nights a week compared to 
occasional weekends, then it makes a huge difference to the voice as well. So it was challenging, but at the end of it, you know, we were something different than when we arrived and when we got back to the UK, we'd made enough money to pay for a full professional studio 24 track demo and we went in and we made i think it was a four song demo which was the green demo which i think is called wasted but dangerous and um that was it and that was the demo with a couple of really nice songs on it that got us some attention got us an agent in london got us uh, a couple of lines in heavy metal magazines, one or two line review, and got journalists, which were important at the time, to come and see us. So I've really good memories of that. But it was a three month contract, and they sent us home after one month. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you can see that I weren't very happy because we we hadn't the the hint had been dropped but we did not get it that at the first show that we did the first gig that we did we were supposed to play shout by lulu come on and shout yeah yeah baby shout yeah yeah and um well, what what was the other one? Baker Street, mm. and uh, because we didn't we didn't know those songs, and we, we you know our mindset was you know we we were we were young men aspiring to be heavy metal gods. Uh, the last thing we wanted to play was Shout and Baker Street, and uh, that was it. Then uh, we sealed then the death warrant. And after a month, it's you're going home. <laughs> oh, okay. And uh, yeah, here's the new band. <laughs> and we watched the new band that night. <laughs> and the next day, we were on the plane. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> All right, Blaze. So here's the here's our final question for tonight, at least. Um, throughout your concerts, throughout your live recordings throughout your interviews you keep telling people that it's important to have a dream so let's turn the tables around and ask you what are you dreaming about these days well i think it's been the same for me for quite a while now is i dream what motivates me is to write a great song something that will be important not just for my fans or metal fans but in the wider world to write a really great song and i don't know if i've done it and i don't know if i will do it you just don't know because these things don't become apparent at the time sometimes things have to be out there and gradually develop in the consciousness of 
the listening public or you haven't done anything that's good enough and will never mean anything or things are of their time and they come to light at a certain time when the planets align and events in human history are at a certain point and your song arrives and there it is you know so that's really what keeps me going and i love to sing you know i love to sing so the opportunity to sing and perform is very important to me and i had a dream a long time ago of owning my own record company and now i do blaze bailey recording and i own it i'm the only artist on it it's microscopic but it is a record company and i do own it and i dreamed of being an independent full time heavy metal singer after iron maiden and that dream's come true and i'm living my dream right now here i am talking to you guys so far away doing an interview about music that i wrote a song i wrote so that's incredible from that young man 18 years old pushing a hoover round a hotel on the night shift that just wanted to be like ronnie james dio and here i am now it's incredible i'm living my dream and i'm incredibly lucky and incredibly grateful for my fans that support me and make it possible for me to make albums and sing so i'm very grateful for the life that i have and for the fans that i have and i wish that every blaze bailey fan will get vaccinated before anybody else and that every blaze bailey fan will have a winning lottery ticket that is quite substantial and i thank every fan so much for the support through thick and thin through good and bad through tears and laughter my fans have been there to encourage me and keep me going and i'm very grateful and very lucky to have that kind of support because not many artists have fans like that and we must i must say are extremely grateful that you are able to do all of this and we really hope and wish that you continue to be able to do all of this because hey we fucking love it well thank you so much mate yeah thank, thank you. you so much very kind of you yeah uh, you know it's so inspirational always talking to you and uh, yeah i think this is just what we need at a time like this especially with an album like war within me well thank you very much for having me on the show and please tell everybody that my album is wonderful and if you don't like it please like <laughs>
<laughs> we won't need to do that. We don't, yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Alrighty. Thank you so much for your time, Blaze. Okay, guys. Nice to talk to you. Talk to you again soon. Wish right, you yep. all the best. Stay safe. Cheers. You too. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. So, Peter, are you blazing in Goa? Hint, hint. <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting that one, but uh, not really, man. Uh, it, it's a family trip. <laughs> Are you? But you can listen to Blaze Bailey's new album, War Within Me. Of course, I did, I did. So you I can did. be blazing like that. <laughs> well, in that, if you put it that way, of course, I've been blazing. Hmm. Okay, now here's another question for you. If you could sing to any metal musician, whom would you sing to? Oh man, <laughs> that you know the part that you sang actually took me by surprise, and I think after the last Riot Peddlers gig, which was over a year ago, this is the first time I've heard you sing. But coming to your question, I don't know, man. I'd be too nervous, and I don't know. It, it depends on who wrote the lyrics, also, right? Because I'm not that great a lyric writer, but. Uh, if you think I am a great lyric writer, then damn, you need to. No, no, no. I'm saying you need to give me some writes. of what you're blazing. <laughs> but for now, I'm gonna stick to just singing to my son, and uh, until he realizes that there are better singers in the world. <laughs> Till then, since he's only four, he's gonna feel that his dad is the best. So I'm just gonna stick to that, man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's gonna take that view and hold on to it until March later too. Anyways. <laughs> If you guys could sing to any metal musician, whom would you sing to? Let us know. Reach out at hauntsuppod.com or on Twitter at hauntsuppod. I'm there at Asmoani and I'm only there. I'm at Trendcrusher on Twitter and Instagram. Just search Trendcrusher. Ooh, okay. Anyways, horns up. Horns up, guys. <laughs>